Hi, this is Andre Dawson, and you're listening to Ryan and Chad on the Friendly Confines Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to a Thanksgiving edition of the Friendly Confines. Chad is traveling this week, so we have brought in Jake Bressler to co-host with me as we talk about the Thanksgiving holiday. Jake, welcome to the Friendly Confines, buddy. Lots to discuss, including is John Lester possibly going out west? And could there be another pitcher from that World Series team coming back? Ryan, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, a lot of a lot of really important issues to discuss uh, for this Cubs offseason. And uh, just looking forward to diving in. Yeah, and we also are going to be talking to pitching coach Derek Johnson from the Cincinnati Reds in part two of our interview with him. So stick around because the Friendly Confines starts right now. Hi, everybody. Let's start as we always do in the first inning. And Jake, of course, Jed Hoyer is officially the Cubs' new team president, taking over for Theo Epstein and Jed signing a five-year deal. So there's continuity within this organization. Do you think we're going to see more of the same that we already saw from Theo? Or is Jed going to be kind of marching to his own drum? And maybe this whole franchise and organization will go in a different direction. What are your takeaways from what you have ultimately heard so far about Jed Hoyer and what he ultimately could do? Well, Ryan, I think, you know, Jed is his own person. And so, you know, he learned under Theo, but he's going to have to make a lot of important decisions this offseason and moving into the 21 season. But what I really like about Jed is that he had so many opportunities to leave Chicago over the past nine years as the Cubs kind of built this nucleus and won a World Series. But he actively chose to stay with the Cubs organization. And that's what I really like. I, I think that he is in this for the long haul and he is the right person to be making some of these decisions on these core players. All right. So for me, I kind of tend to agree with you on that. I think he's got some big decisions to make. I think Theo kind of left the cupboard, if you want to call it empty, so to speak, right? They have to rebuild their farm system. They're on the downturn of this era of Cubs baseball, where we have seen obviously probably the best stretch of baseball from this organization ever. And I think that Jed's going to have to retool this team and potentially rebuild this team because I don't know how far they're ultimately going to get coming into 2021 and beyond. We haven't seen much from these players past 2017 that really show me that they are progressing to a point where we're ultimately going to be seeing guys who are, you know, in their prime years becoming those players that we thought they would be. And that's perennial all-stars and guys that would lead this team year in and year out to at least the NLCS. So for me, I think Jed Hoyer could be making some major changes, even though right now I think in his head, he's hoping for the best and hoping that maybe he can keep this core together at least a little longer. Yeah, right. Speaking of the core, that moves us into our second inning. Um, should the Cubs make major trades this offseason or should they give this core, you know, at least until the all-star break of the 2021 campaign? My, my feeling is that the big question here is with Chris Bryant. I mean, 
Do you think that Chris Bryant can return to the form that he showed in 2015 and 2016 when he just took over the city, won the MVP, won a World Series, was Rookie of the Year, was definitely on pace to you know become one of the really elite players in the league for a decade plus. And the last couple of years, we have just not seen that level of production. I, I think, you know, culminating with his, I, I don't even know if you could call it a performance last season. It was just, he was out there, right? Like he, he, he was at the plate, but he wasn't really, um, you know, his approach I think was off. He wasn't hitting the ball hard. Um, you know, he, he, it just was not the finest hour for Chris Bryant. And it seems like he still has some value on the trade market. So I think when you're talking about deals, potentially this offseason, the big decision is with KB moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that's safe to say, considering he is the guy who's going to be, you know, a free agent at the end of the year. And he's the one that everyone figured because Scott Boris is his agent, because the money might not be right for the Cubs to be able to sign him long term. He's the guy. I personally think that right now it's too early to say. I think a lot depends on what this team is going to look like offseason wise when it comes to signing free agents. I also think it, it, it you need more than a 60 game sample, which is what we had last year to ultimately determine what you're going to do. So I, I personally believe, Jake, that this team is going to stand pat as far as the core guys and then going into the year, depending where they are during the season. Now, there's a lot of scenarios we could look at because you could look at one scenario and say, if this team's not contending, then you start shelling off the players for parts and then you maybe get some good farm players in return, rebuilding that farm system. But there's another thought in my mind with this, Jake, and I think it's interesting to note that even if the Cubs are contending, maybe there's a move where, like you said, you could trade Chris Bryant to a team and then get parts in return that could help you contend and get ahead or, you know, possibly give you that move that gets you over the hump in the postseason to get better than the Dodgers. So these are all things on the table that, again, I think Jed Hoyer is going to really have to think long and hard about depending on what the Cubs look like going into 2021 and during the year. So let's move on now to the third inning, Jake. And of course, there was talk when Jed spoke to the media about the general manager position. Right now it's open. You have Jason McLeod, who is the assistant GM. However, Jed did in fact say that he is going to be looking from the outside to bring in a fresh perspective and a fresh set of eyes to look at this franchise and look at what this team ultimately needs. Do you think that's the right move to bring in someone from the outside, Jake? Or would you ultimately like to see them promote from within? What's your ultimate take on that? Well, I think it depends on, you know, what role Jed sees for this general manager. Um, you know, it, there's always the question of when you have like a president of baseball operations or even in the NBA, a president of basketball operations, how much the general manager handles the, just the day to day or how much the general manager has a final say in the decision making. I mean, I, I don't think whoever they bring in is, you know, just going to be getting Jed and Crane Kenny coffee at the Starbucks on Clark Street. But I... I <laughs> I do think that um, it, it is kind of nice to bring this hire in from the outside, just because, you know, as Theo has said repeatedly, after about 10 years or so, he feels like there is some new leadership and new blood needed within the higher ranks of the organization. So I like the fact that they're bringing in a new voice. Um, it, it sounds like they are going that route to bring in a new voice, especially for 
you know, some of their this core that they've had for so long, like a Kyle Schwarber, um, a Chris Bryant, like we discussed before, um, Wilson Contreras, Javier Baez, and then also, you know, continuing to build back up this farm system, which has been depleted by, you know, some of the trades to um, try to contend over the last five or six years. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting when we say the outside, just remember that I personally think this is going to be a guy, Jake, who Jed Hoyer already has a relationship with, who he knows from his past, whether, you know, that's with the Red Sox or the Padres or, you know, in the past jobs that Jed has had. I personally feel like that these are going to be people that there's a familiarity with already and that he knows what the alignment in which they're going to work together on. I, I personally believe that, you know, we don't know where the president role and the GM role, kind of like what you said, where it starts and where it ends with the Cubs organization. Because even when Theo was there, yeah, we kind of looked at Theo being the guy, right? Ultimately kind of at the controls. But that's not to say that Jed didn't have a major say and didn't really sway things one way or the other. I think you got to be lockstep in this situation. And I know that Jed is going to find someone while he's quote unquote from the outside, he's going to be somebody that has the same vision as Jed is going to obviously bring different ideas to the table, but at the same time is ultimately going to, you know, be someone that is going to have that perspective that Jed Hoyer and the Ricketts of course have to ultimately make the decisions that are right for this franchise. Yep. And once Jed uh, has the new general manager in place, uh, we can start talking about some of the specific questions they have for free agency and uh, trades as well. So moving on to the fourth inning on that note, would the Cubs even or should they even consider re-signing um, what I would consider a, a Cubs legend, Jake Arrieta? I mean, I look, I, I you know, well, I think it's it's been widely debated how influential Jake was, um, you know, from 2014 to 2017. 2015 was one of the greatest seasons of all time by a starting pitcher. 2016, he was great as well. Um, won two games in the World Series. I think when it's all said and done, he his his uh, uh, time with the Cubs uh, during this period is going to be, you know, looked back on with incredible fondness. And I think he's going to receive a lot of recognition from the team. You know, whether that's retiring his number or just, you know, being honored with the rest of, of the 2016 World Series championship squad. But if you look at his last couple of years in Philadelphia, you're not really looking at someone who's going to help you win ball games in 2021. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more on that. I think that you're 100% right. Listen, bringing Jake Arrieta into the fold to me would kind of be similar to some degree of when the Cubs brought back Greg Maddox towards the end of his career or bringing back Fergie Jenkins at the end of his career. You know, it's like, yeah, it's cool. It's, you know, brings back some nostalgia. But is he still even ultimately going to be able to win games for you? And that's what you need. And, and as you, you know, alluded to, Jake Arrieta's stint with the Philadelphia Phillies was pretty brutal. I mean, you look at the, the moves the Cubs made, getting rid of Arietta and signing you Darvish, the Cubs made the right decision. Arietta is in the downturn of his career, and I know he has something to prove, and maybe you're able to sign him to a very friendly, friendly deal, but why give Jake Arrieta that money when you have young pitchers that potentially 
you know, like a Braylon Marquez or, you know, an Albert Azale who, you know, are probably going to be your future anyway. Why not allow them to be the guys that are growing or go out and find a better bargain of a pitcher who you think can, you know, ultimately give you better innings and, and possible wins. So I don't think Jake Arrieta should come back. I know a lot of the fans love Jake, including yourself, Jake. And he is, of course, going to be a guy who people look back fondly on when he had that amazing run in 2015. But ultimately, I think it's best that the Cubs decide to uh, keep this one off limits and and just let bygones be bygones and allow Jake Arrieta to kind of live his legacy as he did over the course of time from the time he was with the Chicago Cubs. So with plus, that, we, 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 we don't even know if they turned his Pilates workout room into an equipment closet. <laughs> so. This is very true. That's a very solid point because you're right. If that is the case, who knows if he would even consider coming back at that point. So with that, let's move on to the fifth inning, Jake. And uh, of course, another free agent that some Cub fans, um, you know, certainly would love to come back. I think a majority of Cub fans would want him to come back. And that being John Lester and Lester, of course, now getting some interest reportedly from the San Francisco Giants who were very interested in him when he signed with the Cubs back in 2015, chose the Cubs over San Fran. Well, the Giants apparently looking to bolster their rotation, want to bring Lester back into the fold. So Jake, I'll ask you first, should the Cubs match any offer for the Giants Or do you think it's ultimately in John Lester's best interest to go to the Giants? Or do you think it's in his best interest to go to the Cubs? I'll let you start. I mean, look, this is a similar situation to Arietta, where you're kind of juggling nostalgia versus what you think Johnny Lester can contribute to the squad in 2021. Can he still start big postseason games? You know, I think that looking back, Johnny is, you know, possibly the greatest free agent signing in the history of Chicago sports. He's a beloved figure here. Uh, he just spent $55,000 on beers after the season was over and in, in gratitude and, and uh, just thanking the Chicago Cubs fans for all their support over the last five years. Um, but I, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to spend big money on him. Like, can he still be a serviceable fourth or fifth starter? I, I think that it, the answer is probably yes there. So, you know, if the price is right and just given what, you know, what we know he can provide in the clubhouse in terms of leadership and, you know, at times he flashes, you know, some of the dominance that he was able to um, pitch with earlier in his career. I think if the price is right, I, I would consider, you know, bringing him back as a potential fourth or fifth starter. Jake, the real question here is how many of those beers did you take advantage of in Chicago going to every single bar that Lester said he'd pick up the first beer on and grab a drink before it was all said and done? Well, it was only like seven or eight beers per bar for me. So, you know, I I was good by, you know, uh, two o'clock in the afternoon the next day. Got it. Got it. Well, that's that sounds perfect. I personally would love to see John Lester back with the Cubs. And I think John Lester would potentially give that quote unquote hometown discount, but it would be hard if the giants end up giving him, let's say, you know, $10 million or $8 million a year. I don't know if the Cubs are willing to pay John Lester that, you know, it might have to be in the range of like five to six. And if the giants outbid the Cubs, I can't behoove John Lester for saying, listen, I loved my time in Chicago as you said, Jake, he's probably the most important free agent signing in Cubs history. I can understand him saying, you know what? 
I'm going to take this money and I'm going to just play out my years in San Francisco, which is one of the best cities in the country as well. Um, granted, the Giants, I don't think, are going anywhere. But I would hope that if the Cubs offer is comparable to the Giants, that when it's all said and done, Lester would choose the Cubs over San Fran. But again, I can't blame him if he decides to go to San Fran if there's more money involved. Absolutely with you on that one, Ryan. Um, so we've talked about a couple of specific uh, potential pitching uh, signings. Now let's talk about, you know, the area that has been analyzed ad nauseum over the last couple of years, which is the offense, you know? So as we look to the sixth inning here, what does the offense need? I mean, I, I, I don't even know where to start here. The, these guys on paper have all the talent in the world. We've seen it 2015 to 2017, the last several years, just nothing in the postseason. ridiculous stretches during the regular season where they can't score any runs. What do you think this offense needs to rebound here? Well, I, I think the, the number one thing, and this is what everyone's been talking about, is the fact that this team desperately needs a leadoff hitter. I mean, they have been talking about a leadoff hitter since Dexter Fowler left. And when your best leadoff hitter is technically your best three or four hitter as well, uh, that's not a good sign. The, the Chris Bryan experiment did not work. It, it, it was failed from the get-go. I, I, I love Chris Bryant, but he's not a leadoff hitter. And it, I understand that in today's quote-unquote, you know, game of baseball, the traditional leadoff hitter is not what it used to be, right? We're not seeing the, the speedy Ricky Henderson, Vince Coleman type player that, you know, gets on base, steals bases. That is not something we have to see, but we still need a guy who gets on base. You still need a guy who can set the table, work the count, and, and try to, you know, increase your chances of scoring. And the Cubs have just not been able to find a good combination of that. They've tried several guys already on the current roster, and it's just not the case where they're able to do that. I thought maybe Ian Happ would be a good person for that, and maybe he is. But I think ultimately, for this team, the last good leadoff hitter they had was a traditional leadoff hitter, and that being Dexter Fowler. So again, if they can go out and get a guy who is a Dexter Fowler-like player, who can bring that on a day-by-day basis and get on base, that's ultimately what I feel like this team should and get if, uh, if they're going to you know, try and, and, and make a move to uh, increase their offense. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the spot on. The leadoff hitter situation has been so infuriating the last four years that it, it, it's almost hard for me to even contemplate the next steps. You know, I think that the Kyle Schwarber leadoff experiment in 2017 may have permanently ruined his swing and his approach at the plate. Um, after what we saw in 2015 and 2016, they really have not been able to replace Dexter Fowler since he signed with St. Louis. So, you know, I, the, if there's anything in the free agent market or anyone, you know, within the organization who they might think is a good candidate at the top of that lineup, I don't, I don't see that right now on the, you know, on the big league roster. I, I agree with you about Ian Hab. I think he, you know, he, he had a great season and, you know, looking at some of his uh, previous stats, I think he can be a very good everyday center fielder. I just don't think, you know, and, and have his potent uh, switch hitting bat in the lineup. I just don't think he's the leadoff hitter. So, you know, then the question is, where can you find 
this person to, to, you know, start off your lineup and get on base and make solid contact, uh, whether that's already within the organization, I think unlikely, or whether, you know, you can uh, potentially find that person via trade or free agency. And this is, you know, again, where, you know, who are your guys that have the most value? Could, it, you know, is it KB? Um, would you even entertain uh, talking about a Wilson Contreras deal? To, to maybe get some more depth in the lineup. But I think, you know, in general, besides for the leadoff hitter, these guys just are not, I mean, something was really broken about Javier Baez last year. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm far from saying, you know, to, from giving up on Javi by any means. And I think, you know, I'd love to see this team resign him, you know, as, as probably a higher priority than KB long-term. But there was something really broken with him last year just chasing bad pitches and just not making contact. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, part of it is just a different approach from Ross and his staff, but you know, it's, it's just broken right now. And it has been for many years. Chad, the 2020 baseball season is over. And of course, now we just have to wait till February. Less than a hundred days away until spring training begins. We hope, but you know, not that I'm counting. Well, as we wait for the upcoming season, now is a perfect time to enjoy some Federalist wine. It's an American wine crafted for the only tasting note that matters, and that's damn good taste. It's a bold choice with baseball or any sport. You can pair it with any food you desire. And if you go to uncork.com right now, that's uncork.com, and use the code CUBS20, you get 20% off your total purchase. That's absolutely right. Chad drinks it. I drink it. So you should, of course, drink it, too. This is Federalist wine. This is an American craft wine. So as Chad said, go to uncork.com, use the promo code CUBS20, and get 20% off your purchase. Must be 21 years or older to consume alcohol. Please drink responsibly. And now part two of our interview with Cincinnati Reds pitching coach, Derek Johnson. What is your job like day to day where you're you're connecting with different pitchers with different needs and different communication styles? How do you approach that? Yeah, so I, I mean, a word that comes to mind is is customization or customizing um, each approach. It's tailoring to to make it fit um, based on you know who the who the player is, and I, I think that's um, I think any pitching coach will tell you that is is probably a main function of their job, but you know, so it's, it's a, on the, maybe on the front end, it's learning who they are, um, learning how they think, learning how, maybe learning how they learn. And, you know, then it's kind of taking the next step of, okay, you know, does this guy trust me with the stuff I'm about to give him? Some guys are an open book, um, willing to try anything. Some guys are really stubborn, um, in terms of, you know, they, they got there because they're stubborn. They're going to stay stubborn because it's, it's work. You know, and it's just kind of, I guess, being flexible um, and accepting of, of whatever and wherever they come from and, and you know, just sort of starting from that point. Um, past that is probably, you know, kind of thinking of it in, in a couple of different layers. Um, you know, the first is planning individually for, for the player. The second part is planning for the, the opposition. Um, and then, you know, probably third is the feedback loop of what just happened. And, 
that that I would say is the process. If there's a generic one, that's probably the process that that a pitching coach follows or flows through pretty much every day of the year. You know, so you're working individually with players, um, performance-wise, how to get them better. Um, sometimes you're a, a psychologist, you know, and you're grabbing a guy and putting him on your couch and trying to figure out what's wrong. Um, you know, sometimes you're a mechanist where you're trying to figure out physically, you know, what what's going on in the delivery. Um, you know, and then you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to beat the Cubs or the Cardinals or the Pirates or whomever, and then closing it up sort of with the feedback of, all right, well, what, what happened in the game and what, what can we learn from it? And so I, I think if you look at it that way, um, certainly there are a lot of, of intricacies in between those, those three buckets, but um, I think those three buckets probably serve the purpose of what, what you'd be looking at daily. Is that conversation late in the game when everything's on the line and it may not be going really well is that the toughest conversation what what are what are those like and how do you prepare to walk out on that mound when somebody might be internally imploding yeah well um you know anytime you walk out to the mound obviously things aren't going the way you'd hope um so you you are somewhat trying to diffuse a, a situation every guy that's out there, you're, you're probably giving him a little bit of a different spiel based on how you know him. Um, and, and probably the most important thing is when you go out there, you're hoping for an out the next play. Yeah. I mean, essentially that's, that's what, what you're out there to do is to get, get another out. Um, most of the, the, the groundwork, um, we lay before the game. So we, we sort of know, um, who we want to match up out of our bullpen with certain pieces of the lineup. Um, what moves we can make, what moves we might stay away from, who's available. Um, you know, we, we have all of that um, loosely scripted before the, the game hits. And then, you know, with there not being um, or with there being a DH this year, like, like the, the, that kind of stuff got way easier. Um, you know, every, everyone loves the, the National League and, and the pitcher's hit and the, the, the strategy of that with the double switches and things like that. And um, you know, unfortunately in the national league, we have to take pitchers out once in a while, um, prior to when we'd like to take them out because offensively we feel like we need the run or, or have a chance at one. So, you, you know, this year was way easier. Um, it, it was going to always work based on how the pitcher was performing, you know, and then the, the other factors around it, um, who we had available, what, what matched up, what made sense and what didn't. So, uh, there's a lot of things that go into play. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're wrong um, some of the times. And, uh, of course, when we are, um, everyone lets us know. <laughs> and, 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 right, and rightfully so. I mean, that's part of the game, right? But then, um, you know, the times that we are right, the times that it does work out well, that, that goes a little bit unnoticed. And, and, uh, but that's the way we'd like it. I mean, the, the bottom line is we're trying to win as many games as we possibly can. And so... Um, we do have to put a lot of stock into to those efforts before the game. Um, during the game, we're, we're, we're talking a lot amongst ourselves, making sure that we're on the same page. And then, you know, the final call does come from the manager. Um, we give input to him and then he makes the call and, uh, and, and you know, and then the game goes on. So uh, that's, uh, that, that's a great question. And, and it's, it's a fun question to think about. There's a lot of strategy pieces to it. And, um, you know, and sometimes you feel pretty good about it. And there's other times when you're scratching your head and you're like, man, I don't know if this is going to work or not, <laughs> but this is the way we get, this is the way we're going. Um, 
So that's, you know, that, that could be fun that way too. If you had a magic wand, do you uh, get rid of the, uh, or do you uh, institute the, the DH tomorrow? Selfishly, um, yes, because I, I think it would make the game funner um, offensively too. Uh, no one wants to see hitter, uh, pitchers hit. There's not, none of them are very good. <laughs> and of course they'll all tell you that they are. Um, and you know, yeah, there's a guy or two on a team that, that swings the bat pretty good, but the by and large, um, th that's not what, what fans come to see. Um, there is bunting, but bunting has to happen in sort of the right scenario. And, and do you score runs from it? Not really, um, at least not, not necessarily, maybe is probably a better way of putting it. Um, and, and like I said, then the, the strategy portion of it then just becomes more about matching up, um, from your starter into your bullpen and trying to, to, to win the game from, from that end. Um, it makes it way cleaner. Um, you know, the double switches are, are fine. Turning your lineup around to, to make it kind of benefit you in the later innings, that can, that can be a good thing. But I, I take the DH every day of the week. Um, yeah, it definitely. I know all the, the purists are, the purists are going to hate me, but, um, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I think this year was a good look at, at what that, that could look like. Uh, so you, right. like me, and I, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but you're a Central Illinois boy. You grew up in Normal. Yep. I grew up uh, yep. south of Champaign. You paid, played ball for Eastern Illinois. That's about 20 minutes yep. from where I grew up. Uh, you started coaching there after graduation, and then, and I have to mention this because Ryan and I are both Salukis. You um, coached at <laughs> SIU. Any fond memories of your time at Carpetdale? Yeah, well, there's a lot. I mean, um, you know, I was, I was really young. So the players, I, I wasn't very much older than the players and that, that was difficult to, to maneuver at times, but Carbondale is such a cool place. I mean, um, you know, the school itself, there's, there's a vibe there. And, and if you've been there, you understand it. If you haven't, you, you don't, uh, but the, you know, the strip, it's just, it, it's, you know, just all of the things it's Mary Lou's biscuits and gravy. It's, Mary Lou's. You, you, you know what I mean? So yep. it's, it's things like that. It's going to trace hombres after, yep. um, you know, after uh, a practice or whatever, and hanging out with Tippy and, yeah. and talking with him. And, you know, and, and again, every SIU guy knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, and so it, it just, it, it's as a standalone, it, it just feels a little bit different than most places that I've been. And, um, you know, the, the, the athletic department is fairly close. Everyone knows everyone else. Um, everyone's sort of pulling in the same direction that way. And um, just, just a really, really fun, fun time of my life. I love that. And, uh, and from there you went on, uh, you had, a, a some stops, uh, um, but one of them was at Vanderbilt and, and that's where you've actually made your home in Nashville. And you, at the, while you were there, you wrote the complete guide to pitching and, uh, and I've actually picked that book up for one of my, my nephews who is pitching. Um, what is it about? I mean, do you feel like putting pen to paper and be able to like share your insights? Um, do you feel like you're both a student of the game, a teacher of the game? Like, why did you, do you feel like you wanted to write that book? Yeah, I, I, it's hard to explain. I, I had read a lot of, of of pitching books up to that point, and there really, I mean, to be honest, there weren't that many. Now, now I think you look at it, and, and it's a little bit more flooded with with info. But you know, at that point, there wasn't a, a lot out there. Um, the ones that I read were good, but they were were sort of pointed in one direction. And um, my thought was trying to put something together that could appeal to a lot of different ages. Uh, which was ended up being probably the hardest thing about writing the book. And then also um, 
you know, having, having pretty much every base covered, if that makes sense. And, and saying like, you know, there's a lot of different facets of baseball. There's a lot of different facet facets of pitching. And, you know, instead of pointing it in one direction, like trying to, 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 to create a book that was all encompassing that had a little bit of all of it in there. And, um, I felt, I felt like, um, we attained that goal. I think we, we hit the mark. Um, I, I would also tell you that that book will never completely be written. And, um, what I'm, what I mean by that is the stuff that I thought then, you know, there are some things about, um, certain aspects of that book that, you know, I could disagree with or fundamentally say that I've changed my mind or changed my route to it and, and don't apologize for that at all, because that's just growing and, and, you know, and, and learning more about your craft. So, I mean, in, in my mind, it was, it was a good starting point. Um, in another way, it's like, it's a book that'll never be like truly written for, for good. Um, you know, simply because you keep moving on and you keep learning more about, uh, about the ins and outs of the game. So with the pitching coach in Major League Baseball, um, that's, you know, you, there's, there's some folks that have longevity in, in organizations, some, some folks bounce around. Where do you see your trajectory? And I'm not asking you to make any career decisions today on the podcast, but do you eventually want to manage a team? Do you eventually, do you, do you want to, where, where do you see your, your trajectory taking you? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a good question, and I have put thought into it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever come up with a, a truly good answer for, for, for any of it. I mean, I, I love what I'm doing. Um, when I left Vanderbilt for the Cubs back in, in the day, you know, I, I left because I didn't necessarily want to be a head coach in college. I, I was really intrigued by the pitching spell and wanted to get better at that. Um, the Cubs position was a way for me to, to stretch myself and, and grow, which I, I, I really did. I learned a lot of stuff in the three years I was there, um, some of which was about baseball. Some of it was about myself. And, you, you know, then you kind of look at it and saying, okay, what's next? Um, right now, um, I'm perfectly content being a, a major league pitching coach. Um, you know, I, I, I'm extremely fortunate, feel extremely fortunate to be one, you know, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure where it goes. I think at some point, you know, you look at, at yourself and say, do you want to keep doing this until you're 65 or 70 or, or whatever? And I'm not sure I see myself sort of in that boat, but I do see myself maybe moving into to other directions, you know, as this thing keeps unfolding and, you know, what that is, whether it's a, being a manager or, um, you know, maybe working into some sort of front office type of, of situation. You know, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, but, but I, I think right now I'm content and, you know, extremely um, happy with, with what I'm doing. And our thanks once again to Derek Johnson, pitching coach for the Cincinnati Reds. Really appreciate his time and, of course, some great stories about his time at Southern Illinois University as well. And don't forget, you can find Chad and I on social media. I am at Ryan D. Lieber. Chad is at the Chad Gordon. And, of course, we always welcome you to go to our Facebook page where we would love to always interact with you, the listener, and hear from you about what you would like us to talk about or who you would like us to talk to. Back here for the eighth inning, um, talking about some Hall of Fame voting here. Uh, two recent Cubs, one obviously more controversial than the other. Uh, we have Sammy Sosa and Aramis Ramirez. Um, their Hall of Fame voting totals so far 
And, you know, whether Ryan, whether you think that uh, Aramis, I think, you know, obviously a long shot here, but whether you think that Sammy at some point um, might get the votes or, you know, the support from the Veterans Committee to eventually get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting take here because there was a former Long Island Newsday baseball reporter and he cast his ballot for this year's um, Hall of Famers and he left his ballot completely blank. He didn't feel anybody on the ballot should be uh, in the Hall of Fame. And of course, that includes the usual suspects of Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, and Sammy Sosa. And then there were some newcomers as well, including Aramis Ramirez. Now, Aramis, Jake, recently got inducted into the Dominican Hall of Fame, which is such a great feat. And while I don't think Aram ultimately is going to get the votes he needs to get into the Hall of Fame, he certainly had a, a solid career, as I've talked to Chad about, when he was with the Cubs. If you break that out, you can make the case that Aram was maybe the best Cubs third baseman of all time, statistically. And then you look at somebody like Sosa, obviously. If Bonds and Clemens and Schilling aren't getting in, there's no chance that Sammy Sosa is getting in. So for me, I don't think we're going to see a day, at least not in the very near future, where these quote-unquote guys who are um, affiliated or associated with steroids are going to see the light when it comes to getting into the Hall of Fame. What about you? Well, look, you know, I'm, I'm biased about Sosa because I worked at Wrigley Field between 1999 and 2003. Um, and at that time, Sammy was based, especially 99 to 02, Sammy was literally the only reason to be at that ballpark. It was the only thing fans came to see. He was by far not only the most exciting player on the Cubs, but the most exciting player in the league. Um, and so to, to think about a guy who put up his kind of numbers and, um, you know, had that level of excitement and was one of the best players in the league and one of the best players likely in the franchise's history. It, it's a difficult pill to swallow that he might not be in the Hall of Fame, but I totally understand, you know, the the steroids issue, obviously. And then also what I really think hurt Sammy is his teammates just did not like him very much. And, and so, you know, I don't think he's really gotten like the full-throated support from some of his peers that he may have had if he was just like a better guy. Right. And, you know, I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of this, but it's just from, from all accounts, you know, he, he was not the most liked guy in that clubhouse um, in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. But but again, you know, I, I, I think that um, Sammy certainly deserves uh, more consideration than he probably has been getting just because of his impact and what he you know, the the statistics that he was able to put up with the home runs and you know, the MVP award and just that stretch that he had in the late 90s and early 2000s. Aramis, I mean, look, I, you know, great third baseman. I, I think almost all, you know, Ryan is probably in the minority here that, that you're saying he might be the greatest Cubs third baseman of all time because I think Ron Sano is probably in that category. But, you know, regardless of what the statistics say, but I I loved Aramis's career. Um you know, love the way he used to uh, creepily smile when he hit home runs as his, <laughs> as the bat touched the ball. But I, I just don't, I don't see him as a Hall of Fame player, but incredible career. You know, it's interesting. I'm looking at the ballot and it was Stephen Marcus who uh, was the person who did not put anybody down in his ballot. But some of the names, Jake, in addition to who we mentioned, 
are are guys that I would legitimately consider. I mean, you got Gary Sheffield, you have Andy Pettit, you have Manny Ramirez, you have Jeff Kent and and Todd Helton. Todd Helton and Jeff Kent are both guys who I could ultimately very much make a case for as guys who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame when you look at their numbers. So kind of interesting to see that he, you know, this is the same guy who, um, you know, last time he voted, Derek Jeter was the only person he voted for. Um, So, you know, I'm curious to see what the other ballots come back with when um, they announce who made the Hall um, or, for that matter, who didn't make the Hall. So with that, Jake. It comes. It comes down to look. Do the reporters think that the Hall of Fame is for them, and they want to keep it exclusive, or is it really for the fans? So, yeah, you know, you, no, you excellent can, point. You could choose. You could choose not to include anyone, and you know, keep this exclusivity. Or I think the fans want to see more modern players get in. Absolutely. So with that, Jake, let's finish up in the ninth inning. And of course, this is our Thanksgiving edition of the friendly confines. So. Jake, I'll ask you, what are you thankful for this year that the Cubs were able to provide for you in 2020? Boy, this is really a tough one. Um, (laughs) Perhaps the (laughs) toughest year to be thankful for anything related to the Chicago Cubs in the last decade or so. But, you know, I I just think, um, you know, just coming back in July and when the season started and just being able to have that kind of entertainment and distraction from everything that was going on. And then just getting off to that hot start, I think was exciting. And even though the team cooled off and obviously uh, the season did not end in the fashion that we all were hoping for, I just think, you know, the excitement of getting the season started and, and getting off to that hot start and, you know, seeing um, fan favorite David Ross kind of, you know, come into his own as the manager, I think was, you know, is something to be thankful for. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I definitely think, obviously, this was such a trying year on so many levels. And the fact that we were able to have baseball at all um, provided at least a little bit of a distraction to give us a reason to be excited about something. Yes, the Cubs season didn't go the way that we wanted it to. It's still, listen, they won the division. David Ross in his first year certainly made some changes that I thought were nice, and hopefully he can carry it over into 2021. But obviously, I wish that the result was different. But the fact that we just got baseball at all this year, for me, that's what I'm ultimately thankful for as we wrap up this edition of the Friendly Confines. And that, of course, is going to do it for this episode. My thanks to Jake Bressler, who filled in so admirably for Chad, who is traveling this week because of the holidays. Jake, you're welcome back anytime. We'd love to have you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode. Ryan, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Well, for Jake, I am Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. And as Chad would say, we'll see you at the ballpark. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game. For I've seen other teams and it's never the same. When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're a field. The first time you walk into Rigo.